Hello and welcome to another episode in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Dan and I'm your host. And my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. We hope you enjoy listening. Well, yeah, Nick, thank you so much for joining us on the the show today. We're really delighted and excited to have you on as a guest. Um, I imagine for most of our listeners, you probably don't need too much of an introduction, but it would be great if you could just kick things off and give us a bit of background about yourself, what it is that you do, and then, yeah. Um, I, I guess, uh, so great to, uh, to be talking to all of you. Thanks for making the time and hope everyone that's listening is doing okay during these really tough times. So my name is Nick Maida. I'm the CEO of a company called Gainsight. At Gainsight, um, we believe that there's a radical change in the ways companies need to think about their customers from the old world where they're really transactional and it was about getting a deal to this new world where your success depends on their success. And that's customer success. That's this podcast. And thank you to both of you for organizing a podcast on a topic I care so much about. And we think customer success is really a company-wide effort. So Gainsight, we try to build all of this content and community around bringing the whole world together around customers. We've written three books on the topic, run a huge conference, run the most popular blog, et cetera. And then we build software products to help every company be, every team in your company be more customer centric. Our customer success product that helps your team be more proactive and scale. Our product experience product that helps your product team measure product utilization, drive adoption. Our revenue optimization product that helps you drive renewal and expansion. Our customer experience product that helps you measure how your customers feel about you. And then our customer data platform to help you integrate all your data together around a 360 view of your customers. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. But I'm very passionate about customer success and happy to be the maybe the chief evangelist or perhaps the chief clown of the customer success <laughs> industry. If you have followed me on Twitter, I like to have some fun as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. Anyone that's seen your, your content that you put out, you can definitely see how, uh, how passionate and um, intrigued you are by customer success. Um, but where did it all start for you? Where, where did you sort of come across customer success? What, you know, what sort of triggered this, yeah. uh, this passion? I, it's, it's, it's a, thank you for asking that. Uh, because, uh, there's actually a story that goes all the way back to my childhood, interestingly enough. Now, I'm not saying that I was a little kid and say, I want to, I want to be the CEO of a customer success software <laughs> company. That, I, that was not my childhood dream. It was probably some mix of astronaut and scientists and things like that. But um, when I was a kid, my, my dad was actually a small business entrepreneur running a small technology company. Um, it never got big, but it was kind of um, basically reselling technology, um, you know, selling software and hardware and whatnot. And, uh, you know, provide a nice middle-class lifestyle for us growing up and really was, was great. Had lots of computers growing up and got into technology and programming as a kid, video games, all those kinds of things. But my dad, when I was a little kid, I remember him taking me to work and him saying, in the technology business, all that matters is building great technology and then selling it. And once you've sold the customer, they're kind of stuck with you. So, you know, you, know, you can move on to the next customer. And so when I was a kid, I kind of heard the lesson of the old world of technology, which was it's all about the sales, all about the transactions. It's all about the product. Fast forward, uh, I, um, in 2008, I, got, I took over as CEO of my first SaaS cloud business, a company called Live Office. I was not the founder, but I was hired to run this company. And I came in with the old mindset, which probably some of your CEOs still have, of you know, product and sales and product and sales. And I realized in this company, because our customers were paying us month to month or year, year to year, and because they had a lot of power, if I didn't add a third dimension of customer success, my company wouldn't go anywhere. And so I spent so much time as the CEO of my last company on 
which of our customers are at risk, which ones are churning, why are they churning, how do we get them to use the product more, how do we drive more revenue from our base. I didn't even know it was called customer success. I didn't know it was a thing, but I experienced how the job of a CEO changes when your customer is in a subscription or cloud model. And so after I sold my last company in 2011, took some time off, and then basically like thought a lot about what I wanted to do next and then end up meeting a couple of folks and kind of we, we basically launched Gainsight together in 2013. Um, and that's, that's sort of the genesis of kind of like how I felt the problem. And uh, now seven and a half years later, it's all I know. So customer success is my life. Awesome. Yeah. And um, I, I was going to ask as well, I guess you, you still have this sort of daily battle with a, a lot of maybe other CEOs or other uh, yeah. tech vendors and stuff like that in terms of still explaining what customer success is, what the philosophy is and, and I guess the need for it. And do you, do you have sort of like an elevator pitch now in terms of how you ultimately define in a nutshell, what is customer success and why is it so important to, uh, to different. Absolutely. And you know, my, thank you for asking my job. I think of part of my job is evangelizing to the CEOs why this matters. And a lot of people listening to the podcast can appreciate that some CEOs get it and some don't. Now I'll just say up front, a kind of funny quote. Um, we have a, uh, our pulse conference every year and we do it in San Francisco. We do it in London. Um, we've done other places as well. And, um, we, uh, you know, normally it's in person this year, it's virtual. But the last in-person we did was in London, in not too far from where you two are, in November. And I don't know, I don't know if, were you guys both at it? Uh, you were at Pulse or? I think we went the year before. Yeah, it was the year before, the actually. Year before, we went, yeah. Which yeah. was, yeah, it so was the awesome. One that, the one this past year in November in 2019, uh, we had an amazing event. It was wonderful. And there was a CEO on stage, CEO of a, a software company called Integrate. His name is Jeremy Bloom. And I asked him basically the question you just asked. I asked him, you know, what? How do you convince them? What, what do you need to do? And he, he had a great quote. He said, if your CEO needs to be con convinced about customer success in 2019, you need a new CEO. <laughs> um, now, uh, unfortunately, not all of you have the power to make your company get a new CEO. So um, what I've found is effective for customer success in explaining it and how it's different from customer support and account management, things like that. I'll give you a couple of different sort of lenses on it. So one is in terms of the differentiation, very simplistically, uh, you know, customer success, uh, sorry, customer support is after the sale reactive, right? And a great customer support is super important, but it's a fundamentally it's solving problems. Um, it's about reacting. And account management is about being proactive, but about the commercials, the re renewal and the expansion. So who's being proactive about the customer get getting the value and adoption and outcomes so that they're ready to renew and expand. And it's this gap between the sale and the renewal, who is proactive with you throughout that journey. And the challenge in a subscription model is if you're not doing that, then you're not gonna get those renewals and you're not gonna get the expansion. If you're doing it, the renewal and expansion become kind of a non-event. And so many, many companies have shifted all their dollars and focus from that late renewal to earlier in the life cycle. So that's kind of what customer success is in terms of why it fits in. Now, why do you need it? Well we found there's actually six reasons companies need customer success and it varies a lot based on your business. So some people it's about minimizing churn. Obviously that's probably the, the most common thing that people would say about customer success, but some companies don't have a lot of churn. They have very sticky businesses and I still think there's a need for customer success. Number two kind of reason that we see people in implementing customer success 
is they want to scale better. Customer success is typically a more scalable version of what you've done before because you're being proactive through data and through methodology and process versus just calling every customer and checking in. So scale is the second one. The third one that people want is they want a consistent view of their customers. They want to have everyone on the same page about their customers, right? And understand, and customer success teams are able to get this holistic view of their customers, particularly with systems to support that. Number four is they want a more connected customer experience. They've seen their company customers go through this great sales process. And then after they quote unquote handoff, the, you know, you have to ask them again. So why did you buy and tell me what your objectives are and, you know, things like that. And customers kind of complain. And, and because of that, they're not advocates. They're not promoters. Number five is they, they haven't figured out how to operationalize expansion. Expansion is much more kind of happenstance. They haven't figured out how to make it consistent. And then number six is, they, they know that the future of their business depends on adopting their products, uh, whether it's using them broadly or also using all the advanced features, and they haven't figured out how to drive that adoption. Those six things are the reasons we've interviewed thousands of companies. Those are the six things that come up. For any given company, some of those six are more important than others. And I'd challenge you to go to your CEO and say, okay, these six, which ones really matter to our business right now? Sometimes I ask customer success leaders, which of those six matter? And they say, well, kind of all of them. And I would say, well, th then you really haven't understood the problem well enough. For your business, what matters the most? Maybe your business is very sticky, but it depends on expansion. Maybe the future of your business depends on getting your customers to use the differentiated functionality from an adoption point of view. What matters to your business right now? Final comment I give you is this, this explanation challenge was harder pre-COVID-19 because um, there's a lot of things going on in business. But right now, honestly, every CEO has the same top three priorities. Keep your team safe, make sure you don't run out of money, and retain your clients. That's every single company has those three priorities. Customer success is about priority number three. So it's, it's the most important time in the history of customer success right now. Fantastic. And um, just, I mean, just to say, firstly, that definition between the differences of um, support AM and, and customer success is probably the best I've I've heard in terms of just the differences because I think what sort of Alex and I have found from these episodes that we've done is that there there can be so much overlap between those three areas um, within some organisations CS will be doing the kind of expansion role within others totally. there may be kind of a a lot of workload around the support side um, so I really like the, the kind of differentiation there and especially the mention of outcomes and making sure that CS are focused on, on driving those outcomes for our customers and then going into those six reasons. A question I've got actually, so with, I think with those six areas, they kind of all definitely resonate, resonate with me. I suppose within some organizations, you probably get siloed into like one or two yep. and maybe don't get included within others. Is there, totally. is there kind of anything that you see in terms of the adoption of customer success and probably just where customers are at in that, adoption stage of CS in general um, with regards to like how they start? Is it something that is brought in initially to, to deal with churn and then just expand from there to pick up other areas of, of responsibilities? Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. You know, see, we, we always like to say CS is not a solo act. It's kind of more like a symphony. You need all the teams in the company working together. And I think that Often customer success, if you said, what's the most common reason it's created? It's usually churn, not always, but that's like the most common, you know, origin story for customer success inside a company. And, but even churn is not a solo act for the CSMs. You both know that you can't, you don't control the product or the sales expectations or the marketing value proposition, the pricing model. 
but you have a little bit of control over churn and obviously that's where people start if you look at those other six value props they really bring in other teammates so let me let me quickly walk through them so you think about that value prop around um you know going if you kind of think we're going to go beyond churn uh and, and maybe go beyond scale because Actually, scale scale is one where even even for CS teams to scale, you need sometimes operations, you need enablement. Maybe you have control of those, maybe you don't, right? That's where you need a partner. To get that visibility around the customer, often you need IT to be involved, to bring data together, right? That's like a common thing. To get that connected customer experience, often you might need marketing uh, to be involved of like what's the value propositions and sales, and then also services and the rest of your post-sales counterparts. To get that expansion, clearly you need sales involved. And then to get that adoption area, you need product involved, right? So th those six reasons in some ways kind of bring together the different parts of the customer success symphony across your company. Fantastic. And it sounds like as well from, from even the intro, and I know quite a lot about Gainsight anyway in terms of, of the, the products offering, but I guess are you, are you currently in a phase where you're actually just trying to build as many products as possible to solve or to work for as many departments so that customer success, like you say, isn't just servicing one team, but also you are bringing in products within that and you're enabling a product that speaks to all of these different departments to deliver customer success as opposed to just building products for like one team, for example. Yeah, 100%. And, and if you just click into that a little bit, the early days of customer success, as I said, we're just a CSM team. Mm. People figured out it's company wide. But the problem right now is there's all these silos and you know, sales is doing their own thing around account management products doing their own thing around adoption, you know, marketing is doing their own thing around kind of one to many communications. And so if you don't, you have all the silos, you can't have an integrated customer experience. You can't have everyone rallied around the customer. It's also super inefficient. You're wasting a lot of money. So we built customer cloud is those five products together. And the idea basically is companies have kind of a marketing cloud to help drive integrated marketing and sales cloud to drive integrated sales. You need a customer cloud to drive an integrated customer experience. And that's what we're committed to. Fantastic. That's a great, uh, great mission as well to kind of work, um, nice. kind of work on. Um, and uh, I guess just kind of with the, with the current challenges at the moment, and, and we, we briefly mentioned this, but obviously there's been like a huge amount of change in, in the last eight weeks and probably a number of, I think, conversations we're having at the moment is, is kind of what's going to happen to customer success and especially within companies where it's probably not really established or, or valued as, as well as it could be. And, and the reason for that is, as I mentioned, it might be that the customer success team is probably too focused on support or it may be focused too much on account management. It may just be a team that's there just firefighting at the moment. Are you, are you seeing any challenges with regards to customer success at the moment and how it's, um, I suppose, kind of adapting to the, to the current situation within a number of companies that, that you work with? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely always challenges in customer success. It's a hard job. I mean, mm. empathize with every single person on the front lines, like the two of you. And um, I think the unique challenges right now are, um, but also opportunities. Everything has both sides. The challenges are, I think, you've got some customers of yours, uh, whoever you are, that are as a business struggling right now, right? And, and uh, you can think of uh, companies in the industry of restaurants, hotels, airlines, all those tough areas that are just, you know, no matter what you do as a CSM, it's challenging, right? Mm -hmm. You've got those, you have customers and those companies, you know, don't have a lot of money. They're not clear what's happening in their business. You've got customers that on the other extreme are actually growing like crazy, but almost super busy and hard to engage with you right now. Maybe you're working with like an online delivery service as a customer or a 
grocery store, you know, people like that that are so busy. You've got the folks in the middle, maybe Global Index falls into this, maybe Gainside does too, where you're just kind of dealing with a lot of uncertainty. And so you're trying to, you know, minimize incremental costs. And so right now the landscape of your clients is pretty complicated. Um, but on the flip side, they need you more than ever. They need more value from your tools. They need more empathy from you. They need it to be easier to work with you. And so I think there's a big need from you, but a challenge. And then internally, most CSM teams have a little bit of a challenge of just like, like more work right now, but not necessarily more resources. So I think there's just a little bit more uh, amplified focus. So I think it's I, the way I like to think about the positive side is you've never been needed more than ever than you are right now. And then on the challenging side, you've never been more needed than you are right now. So that yeah. means you have a lot more work. Completely agree. Calls. Completely agree. And it, I think even kind of myself, like you say, you've probably never been busier, um, especially sort totally. of like, like both Alex and I kind of work with, within the same company and um, seen just a huge increase in, in the number of requests for, for data at the moment. And almost it, it kind of falls back into those six reasons of CS and um, probably where I, I see more of a need now in terms of the work that I'm doing on a daily basis is probably scale because as we become busier, yeah. there's not more resource there. We've got to now start to think about, well, those activities that we probably used to do with high touch customers, how can we scale that out? Because now the workload has increased and we need to kind of maintain those same like standards of engagement, but obviously scale that to more people. So you know, it's interesting about that point, by the way, just two, uh, two data points. Number one, I think the, the concept of do more with less is, is a, almost like the current situation of CS. More, more work, but less or same resources. And so we wrote a, a blog post on our website, five ways to do more with, with less in CS. And that's like becomes a very popular post and you can go check it out because there's a lot of things about how do you scale. And then um, we in our own, our Gainsight, if you look at those six value propositions, the one people start with Gainsight technology the most is scale. Because um, usually they have a CS team, they're high touch, and it's like, how do I scale? How do I automate? How do I make it look simpler to look up data? All those kinds of things. And our pipeline for our software is off the charts right now, never been higher. Mm. Now, obviously, the sales cycle still, it, there's some time to go through. But I think it's an indication of supporting what you just said, which is scale is the biggest challenge right now in CS land. Do you think that comes down to, I guess, the initial challenge that we mentioned in terms of maybe some organizations not understanding where their CS department should be situated and, and possibly that then leads to an under-resourcing of that, that team? Because like, we often speak to people and they seem to have, you know, in, in comparison to maybe if they work with a sales team and an account management team, you'll have a ratio of one CSM to maybe two account managers or, or something similar. Um, so do you think that maybe stems from that initial, initial challenge? Totally. Yeah, I agree. It's a very insightful question. I think there's like, there's a, we, the CEO has always understood how many salespeople you need or account managers. They understood how many engineers you need. They didn't understand how many CSMs you need. And it was a little mm. bit harder for them to see it. One of the challenges with CSM is it's not a transactional job. Transactional jobs are actually easier to resource because you can say, well, how many transactions do you need? How many people per trans, how many transactions per person? That's how many people you need. Very simple. That's how sales formulas work. You know, I want to do this much in sales. I have this quota. I need this many salespeople. CSM is a, a harder job because it's proactive and it's not transactional. So I think in the pre-COVID-19 world, I think it's been harder. But I, what I'm seeing encouraging from CEOs right now is they're like, well, my salespeople, unfortunately, are not as busy as they would be normally. That's just kind of the reality of life. But I know I need to keep my customers. So people, a lot of companies are shifting resource from sales to CO, CS right now. Um, and that's, a, that's, I think, showing up. And then the second kind of layer of resourcing beyond the people on the front line, 
is kind of operations and enablement. So historically, sales teams would have a lot of people in sales ops and enablement, right? And there'd be a really generous ratio uh, to help with salesforce.com or whatever CRM you use to help with training. And CS people would have very little ops and enablement. But we've seen even pre-COVID a, a huge surge in ops and enablement for CS. And I think in this new world of COVID-19, even more so. Um, so I believe that the the light of the value prop and ROI of CS is showing up right now. So we're seeing a, a shift in resourcing as we speak. Yeah, absolutely. I think I would agree with that sort of trend as well. And do you think it's more along the lines of, I guess, specializing customer success? Because as you say, things like account management and sales, you might have like a technical account manager in comparison to maybe a consultative salesperson. And, you know, they are sort of known sales personas and sales types. Whereas in CS, you've usually just had, oh, it's a customer success manager. And there hasn't really been yeah. much differentiation. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, do you think the trend will now be those teams that are successful within different um, SaaS vendors and, and providers will be the ones that have specialized their CSM teams and they'll maybe have their their enterprise CSMs who are strategic and consultative. They'll have their scale ones that are maybe more technical and marketing uh, sort of mindset. You'll have your operations focus and, and uh, stuff like that. I like that. I'm glad you asked the question, Alex. I think that is a real important uh, uh, sort of evolution of a CS team because I think you do start with the CSM as sort of the the gap filler. Like mm-hmm. we, uh, there's a lot of other jobs that are well defined. CSM does everything else. You know, if you wanted to joke about it, you could say the job description is miscellaneous or etc. Yeah. You know, just like. Um, but that's not a very sustainable job description, and I think it's not sustainable for the CSM because they end up spread too thin and they don't feel like they're great at anything. And then from a client perspective, I do think that sometimes CSMs that are too spread thin, it's like, what are they doing exactly? You know, they're almost like the email forwarder. They you email them and then they get you to the right person, right? Mm-hmm. And then for the CEO or finance team internally, they're like, what do you actually do here? What's your value add? And I think you're totally right. Even pre-COVID-19, people end up specializing. And I would say there's, here, here's the patterns I see in terms of specialization. So as a CSM, you need to be great at one of the following things. Um, now you should be good at everything, but great at one of the following. So either um, you're a, a more technical product and your CSM is really, really knowledgeable about the product, right? And what you find is in companies that sell to technical buyers, CSMs over time have to become pretty knowledgeable, you know, because you can't be dealing with a security analyst at a customer and selling a security product and not know security. I mean, that just doesn't work. So there's the technical CSM, the product knowledgeable, so that's category one. Then you've got the CSM that's extremely good at kind of consultative work with large companies where they they can work with the large customer. This is kind of your classic enterprise CSM. And you can be great at like corralling a lot of people, working with all the different stakeholders, running a big EBR, prepping with lots of different people, and just being extremely consultative in that process, right? A really, really like almost like a McKinsey type, you know, level of person. The third profile is the project manager, maybe of a high volume business. And it's about being just extremely organized and diligent and working through the workflow and stuff like that. Right. And that project manager, task manager, kind of CSM uh, is a third kind of profile, right. That's important. And then some businesses, CS is a little more commercial. Um, Maybe they own the expansion and it's like the commercial CSM. And they're pretty good at like pushing the customer, negotiating, pricing, you know, uh, challenging, et cetera. Right. Uh, and there's by, by, by there's a fifth one that I think I see from time to time, which is a CSM that's walked in the shoes of the client. So they've been in their job. So maybe you're a, 
a company that sells HR software and you've been an HR manager before. So it's like, I've, I've been in your job, you know? And so, and by, by the way, you could be a mix of those, but as a CSM, if you can't say I'm really great at one of those, or maybe there's some other one I've missed, I, I, I worry a little bit at the long-term sustainability. And I think you're right, Alex, like over time in a company, you might have a, set, a subset of your CSM team that's technical, subset that's enterprise oriented, but everyone should be great at something is my, my bottom line. Yeah, it makes complete sense because we, we often ask our, our guests about things like segmentation and you know how you yeah. should take your client base and, and apply different layers of segmentation. And I guess the, the element that often gets missed is, well, what people do you have in your team? You, know, you can apply all of these different layers of segmentation. Totally. Yeah, value, the size of the company. But if you don't have, you know, like you say, if you don't have someone that's maybe more consultative and yet you have those larger organizations that require someone to go in and do a lot of questioning and uh, all of the consulting, then you, technically you don't have the right person for that portfolio that you've, you've segmented for. You said it well. And, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about the advanced tips, one of the advanced tips, once you get to the basic segmentation that you described, is over time, what I find very interesting is a client in a given segment from a spend or size perspective could have different needs based on where they are in their own internal cycle, right? So in our business, as an example, to use our, ourselves as a kind of poster child, um, in general, our large customers want a more consultative approach and our smaller customers want a more product-oriented approach. So if you said, what's generic, that's true. But actually within our small customers, sometimes in their own cycle, they want a more consultative approach because maybe they brought in a new head of customer success or maybe they've refactored their business or they've launched a new product. And then at some point they want, no, I just want the expert on the game side product to get more value out of it. And then our bigger customers, sometimes they want a more consultative approach, but every now and then I just want a more product oriented person because maybe they've gotten really, really good at the consultative stuff. So one of the things we've actually found in our business is that's where the role of the managers can come in because you know there's a CSM and then there's the manager. So maybe the CSMs in a sub team are product oriented and technical, but maybe the manager can be a little bit more consultative and business strategic oriented and can kind of come in for a specific engagement with that client, help the individual contributor, and then kind of hand them back to the technical CSM. So if you're a manager listening, I do think you have a job to compliment your teammate. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the challenges that we regularly seem to talk about or get asked about from a, a manager or a leadership pe- uh, perspective is, and I imagine you guys at Gainsight get asked this a, a lot as well, is um, you know, proving the value of, of your customer success team. I know measurement is a pretty huge topic and there's all sorts of um, answers to this in terms of you know, focusing on things like usage, adoption. There's obviously yep. um, focusing on like success and outcomes and stuff like that. But from, in your opinion, what are the main things? You know, if someone comes to you and asks you, how do I get our, our board level or our, our leadership team to buy into our customer success team, what are the go-to things that they should mostly focus on? Yeah, it's a really, it's a, a really good question. And even in a company like Gainsight, where our whole mission is customer success, we think about this internally because no matter what, um, what you have in customer success and the ROI that's there, the real question a CFO or CEO asks is not what's the ROI of something, it's what's the incremental ROI of something. So in other words, you, okay, yeah, fine, you have a customer success team. If I gave you one more headcount or I gave the sales team one more headcount, what's the differential ROI? That's how budgeting really works. And so I think there's a couple important factors to think about here. So number one is um, people that get more resource in a company, if you just look across the board, are the ones that one of the core things is that they, they can forecast really well. 
So in other word, words, if I'm giving you more resource, are you hitting your plan? So if I'm a CEO of a co any company, like Gainside or otherwise, I'm giving more resource to people that hit their plan. So as much as anything else, if I'm you as a CS leader, be predictable. For, forecast your retention well, and you will get more headcount because then the CFO knows that you know, you know your business well. Sales leaders that don't forecast well don't get more headcount, and eventually they get let go. CS leaders that don't forecast well, same thing. Now, that's step one is forecast well. Step two is then have good leading indicators of what the ROI is of your effort. Because one of the challenges with CS is it's not a, a world where you do work today and you get a result tomorrow. It's like you do work today, get a result six months from now, nine months from now. So to, again, as a, an example of this, we have, of course, no surprise, we have a number of leading indicators. And I would, I'd argue that they change over time because sometimes like the low hanging fruit, you pick it off the trees, right? So like in, in most businesses, the low hanging fruit in the early days of a customer success program is things like deployment and adopt basic adoption, right? So it's like, hey, um, did the customer deploy the software, right? And CSMs go get them to deploy the software. Did they start using it? Great, get them to start using it. But then you get some of that low hanging fruit off the trees. Some of you have experienced this, like you get out there and you talk to your customers and great, what's the ROI of doing more? It's probably not just deployment and adoption. Then in our own framework, we, we actually have this concept of D-E-A-R, okay? So D is deployment. Get people to like, just like set up the software. A is adoption. Get them to use the basics of it. E is engagement. And so what we found is the next leading indicator in our own business was literally, did we have stakeholder alignment? Have we talked to the executive in the last 90 days? Everyone in this listening to this podcast gets the idea. And then R is ROI. Have we demonstrated an outcome or ROI? And so what we have been able to do in our business is then take the D score, the E score, the A score, and the R score, which are all, of course, tracked at Gainsight, and then correlate those with retention. And what we found was, in the early days, moving the D score helped a lot, and then the A score helped a lot. And then at some point, it helped, but it was like, it's hard to move it too much more and really help that much more. And then it was like the E score is, is the executive seeing the value. And that was the R score of ROI. And by the way, in our own business, we're, we're probably going to add a fifth and we'll eventually uh, take this out to market, which I think once you get through those four, which some, once you're mature, you do, then it's actually, if you think about it, if a customer's deployed your software, they're using it, they're reasonably engaged and they're getting some ROI, then the, the danger is actually no longer, are they getting value and liking it? It's actually like, are they really sticky or could some bigger vendor come in and displace you because they can do all those things and they are, they're spending more money with that bigger vendor. And so then we're, we're over time, I think there's this fifth concept of stickiness, which is, are they using things in your product that are really hard to replace, right? That are really integral to their business that are actually like differentiated, you know? And so I think there's this evolution of how you think about leading indicators. So to summarize, forecast really well, be predictable, establish your leading indicators, find the correlation to the renewal rate or expansion rate, and then constantly iterate those leading indicators as your business evolves. What I described is not easy. It's a lot, but that's, that's customer success. It's definitely not easy. That's why you have to keep moving. Don't stop if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, no, I really like that. And I think it, it kind of makes a lot of sense because it goes back to, I guess, what you said initially in terms of like the, the types of uh, specialization within a team. So you know, if, we, if we identify those sort of four uh, metrics, you know, if the deployment one was one that you wanted to focus on, for example, if you're able to go to the CFO and say, if you give us extra budget for um, 
one extra headcount, we'll bring in someone who's a really technical minded CSM and they'll help us with our deployment. And that should then result in X, Y, Z. Exactly. You got it. And too many CSMs go to their CFO and say, I'm going to do everything for you. We're going to have a deployment, engagement, adoption, ROI, blah, blah, blah. And then the CFO's like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. You yeah. Know? So yeah, be more specific. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's just a level of compromise, isn't it? In terms of identifying which one of those are, is like the most important um, thing to focus That's on. That's exactly right. I think what I find with that as well is just even probably a lot of companies focus too much, not necessarily too much, but they stop almost after the deployment and engagement aspect. And then nine, 12 months down the line, the cup, like as, as you say, perhaps maybe the, the customer goes with another vendor and they're like, why, why did that happen? And it's because they haven't kind of thought about those uh, kind of next stages in, in terms of like moving that relationship along. Yeah, it's interesting because Dan, you know, you've had Dan Steinman on this podcast too, right? A uh, colleague, dear friend of ours, yeah. one of original people at Gainsight and original chief customer officer. He ran our European team. He's our chief evangelist now. And Dan uh, wrote these 10 laws of customer success in 2013 in the very beginning. And they kind of were etched on a stone and handed down from the mountain. And one of, the, one of those 10 laws is the natural tendency of customers is toward churn. Um, and that's the, the hard reality that we all have to face is that it's like gravity. It constantly pulls you down. And so you can't stop. Once you've done the deployment, you've done engagement, got to get the adoption, got to get the ROI, got to get the stickiness. There's always something more to do. Um, so that's why your job is so important. Definitely. And um, something we, we wanted to ask you about, actually. So we saw that you have a, an upcoming book, um, which is soon to be released. I think in July, is it in the, in the UK at least? No, it, it actually, yeah, it might, actually, that's true. It might be different in the UK. It might be July in the UK. It just came out in the US on, on Amazon as well. So you can get it uh, from in the US right now. Fantastic. And um, so kind of looking, looking at the summary of that, so it, uh, it seems as though a big part of that is looking at kind of culture and, and the philosophy of, of customer success and, and how that is evolving. It would be great to hear perhaps maybe just a little bit about that and, and what the book entails and how that kind of um, can perhaps maybe give people insight into to the future of customer success. Yeah, yeah, totally. So the book is called Customer Success Economy. And just for context, uh, a number of people, actually, I think more than 70,000 or so read the first book on customer success, which um, Dan and I and a gentleman named Lincoln Murphy wrote in 2014. So a long time ago. <laughs> so many of you weren't even in customer success then. Some of you probably weren't even working then. And um, in that early book, uh, Dan did an amazing job and you know, myself and Lincoln of basically projecting forward what was going to happen in customer success and how it was really important. And, you know, early on, it was really focused on churn, although in the book we talked about other areas and it was focused on the CSM team. And a lot of the examples were in software. So what happened over the last few years is customer success's remit expanded. We talked about those six, you know, you know reasons now versus just one. It expanded beyond just the CSM function to company-wide and expanded beyond software to many, many industries from healthcare to manufacturing to services. And so what we uh, did with this book is said, okay, this is called Customer Success Economy. It's written by myself and our former chief operating officer, Allison Pickens. And the two of us wrote this book and said, okay, how is customer success now a fundamental backbone of the whole economy? We wrote this pre-COVID-19, but honestly, it's like become even more so with COVID-19. And in the book, we feature 
uh, companies that are going beyond churn to all the other drivers, expansion in particular. We feature companies that are not just thinking about it from a CSM perspective, but we talk to marketing leaders, sales leaders, services leaders, support leaders, finance leaders, product leaders about how does CS matter to them. And then we talk about companies in you know, healthcare, services, manufacturing, lots of industries about how it's showing up in every part of the economy. And then we also try to answer and give guidance on some of the age-old questions, like the ones you guys have talked about, right? What should, it, what should the CSM specialization be? Should it report to sales or to services? Should they own renewal and upsell? All the questions that we've all been asked and answered you know, hundreds and thousands of times. We, we try to put in frameworks for making decisions on those in the book. Final comment I give you is the first book it was read by, you know, 70,000 plus people, but thousands and thousands of management teams made it like their kind of standard reading to get everyone on the same page, including some really, really big companies. And so we, we believe the same thing's going to happen with this new book. It's going to become the way for companies and your CEOs in particular to get kind of up to speed on customer success. Yeah, amazing. I think it's, um, it's really interesting as a topic to see how the how it is becoming an entire economy like it's not just relating to SaaS anymore and, and sort of tech vendors and it, it really does go beyond that and it's even evolving into you know not just b2b but it's evolving into b2c now and um exactly. i guess i've always had things like customer services from a b2c perspective but it is now starting to evolve into what you would almost call um customer success and having that customer obsession and putting the customer first so yeah it sounds really interesting so um i think we'll definitely definitely be checking that out that's great thank you and I guess um, kind of with, uh, and, and something we've, we've definitely spoke about in the past, but kind of with, again, just probably the, the current economy or, or what's, what's going to happen yeah. in the future with the economy, how integral do you think CS will be to raise investment for, for SaaS businesses? Oh my gosh, it's interesting because I, I, um, uh, I was on, you know, on Twitter and a friend of mine tweeted uh, a, a quote that I then put into every one of my slides. He's a partner at the... Um, investment uh, VC fund of Cisco and um, the big tech company. And he used to be a partner at a big venture firm. And he said, um, retention was always important pre-COVID-19 as a metric that investors look at. And he's like, now it's going to be the main metric investors look Mm -hmm. at. And I think that just totally captured it. And actually uh, Morgan Stanley, who's a big investment bank, they put out a research report at the beginning of COVID-19. And they had one of their key bullet points was renewal rates are the key for growth for SaaS companies. And so I think what's happening now is both the public investors, the private investors, they know new sales are going to slow down. So if they want to understand what's happening in company, the number one metric they're going to go look at is retention. Um, and that's always been a big metric, but now it's going to be the number one metric. Fantastic. I imagine that's where like, even just making sure the product's as sticky as possible is probably going to shift Absolutely. The, the focus, yeah. right? That's totally right, yeah. Perfect. So, um, what we what we kind of wanted to make sure we we got out of that as well is obviously from from your experience, it would be great to understand probably just some of the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way. So, interestingly, when you when you kind of told us at the start around like your background and and how you developed into different roles, and it sounds like CS just just happened organically almost from from those experiences. Was there anything that you could perhaps maybe pinpoint as being one of the biggest lessons that you learned and probably one of also the, the biggest reasons for your success today? Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think you're talking beyond CS just more generally. In leadership, just, yeah. Right? Just that's it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, by the way, um, I think a lot of success is just kind of random happenstance. So you get yeah. in some meeting in the right place and a lot of luck and stuff like that. But 
I think that um, for my own style, um, there's a few things that I've taken away. Um, and one of them is um, really, really figuring out your own style, your own approach. I think the things that work in management and leadership and business are just things that are truly authentic, what you actually believe, who you actually are. Um, and so for me, I have a certain style, which is trying to be pretty just real and uh, real and normal and approachable. And that's worked very much for me. And so I kind of doubled down on that constantly in terms of transparency, trying to be a little silly, all those things. And it just, it's just me. So figure out who you are is probably the number one challenge in management and just being yeah. that. Number two, tied to that is then being able to be vulnerable. Because sometimes the reason people aren't authentic is they're a little scared to be who they are. And I think realizing that that power of vulnerability, people really open up to you if they feel like you're being your true self. Uh, we call that um, human first business again. That's kind of what we're really passionate about is being a human being first and a business person second, right? And you know, really treating your customers as humans, your, your teammates, all that kind of stuff. And then um, in my own specific kind of day-to-day, -day, more tactical, there's a couple of things that I think we've found work really well. Hyper-transparency, trying to be really transparent with customers, with your employees, and just like not hiding anything by default sharing. Don't, you know, th there should be a, rather than why should we say, share this? It's why should we not share this? You know, mm. we don't lock up our roadmaps on our web, you know, behind a password. We don't, you don't have to log into our website to get our documentation. We, we, we want everything to just be out there, right? And then judge, judge us on the truth. Um, and so another one that I, that's really worked for me is um, really try to just help every single person. So one of our values at Gainsight is golden rule, which means treat people you want to be treated. And that means like every, if you can, every time somebody reaches out to her help for a job search or an intro that somebody, if you know them, trying to help them out, trying to get on a call, like I've, Dan and I both, I mean, we've, we're helped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of CS leaders find jobs. And, you know, it's not about like helping them find a job because they're going to help you later. It's just because like, I think a, the world is better when people help each other. And I want to try to make that better. And of course it does come back and help you too. There's no doubt about it. But, um, I think that like just trying to help is a, the best long-term strategy for your career success. And if I look at the tens and tens and tens of thousands of people I've met and the tens of thousands of coffees I've had with people on advice that helping them with their business plan or whatever, those did come back to me in terms of, you know, new customers or help people that have helped me. And even if they didn't all come back, they made me feel better. Right. Because you, there's no better way to feel good than to help other people. So that's probably the one I close with. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting you say that as well, actually. Because even I guess the question wasn't necessarily related to just customer success, but um, we often ask people on the podcast, um, like, what are the top skills for for CSMs? And the answer usually doesn't actually evolve around skills. It does usually revolve more around personal qualities and things like care, 100%. Empathy, yeah. curiosity, or totally. more popular ones, uh, ones that come up. So it definitely resonates with what you just said um what one thing i was going to ask you is a bit of a, a left field question really but is um is there a question that people don't often ask you that you wish people asked more i love, love that question uh very very meta question um <laughs> getting deep <laughs> especially when when asked to nick meta <laughs> so I think, I think there's a, I'll give you one related to the domain that we're talking about and maybe one more, more general one. Um, so the domain one is, um, you know, what is, people ask a lot about what is the future of customer success? What's the ROI of customer success? Um, 
is customer success a thing? I think you have to ask those questions about the other departments as well. So what I think we do is we assume everything else is fixed and the variables customer success. But I think in the future, we're going to have to rethink all of those things. What's the future of sales? What's the role of sales in the future? I think there is a role, but I don't think we should just assume it's the role that we do today. And too many people kind of start assuming that all those other things are fixed and customer success is the one that can change. And then on the, on the um, personal front, one thing I like to tell, um, what I, one thing I like to think about for myself, and I think for, I, I talked to our team about as well, is um, anytime you're not doing something, um, I think there's an interesting kind of question to ask yourself. So if it's something you want to do and you're not doing it, so something that you wish you were doing, but you're not doing it, could be any, anything from exercising more to being a better person at work or helping other people. Um, my coach actually has a great challenge for me. Anytime I say, gosh, I wish I was doing this more. And I'll tell you an example of one. I wish I, I, I told her I had too many direct reports, you know, too many people working for me. I need to like consolidate the team. And she said, and, and we, I'd said this for a few sessions in a row. And she said, uh, Mick, rather than talking about, you know, you have, you have too many direct reports and why you, you, don't, you have too many direct reports. I'd like to challenge you a little bit and say, how does having too many direct reports serve you? Because you are a strong person and what happens in your life is largely your own choosing. And so I'm going to assume that it serves you. It helps you to have your current situation. And so I would challenge all of us to say, own your life, own what happens and say, if something is happening on a repeated basis in my life, and I've talked about over and over again, that means the current situation is serving you well. So as an example, if you don't um, assume the best intentions of other people, which is a very, like, we all think we want to assume the best intentions. I think that's important. But if you're not doing that, how is it, how is it serving you to not do that? Maybe it makes mm. you feel better about yourself if you think the world's out to get you, right? And that's okay, by the way. We're all human. It's okay to not be perfect. But rather than, like, sit there every year with the same New Year's resolution and the same set of platitudes and then kind of be upset at yourself for not doing them, challenge yourself and say, how does the current situation serve me? And by the way, this exercise is a kick in the butt because when she <laughs> said that a month later, I had fewer direct reports because I asked myself that question and I was like, yeah, you know, it's serving me because I get to kind of micromanage people more because I'm managing more people, but that's not actually what I want, but that's what I kind of short term gives me a high, but I want to fix that. And so I fixed it. So ask yourself, what about your current situation that you don't like is serving you today? And that is a good forcing function that drives change. Yeah, that's really brilliant. Good. Like that. Sort of challenging your acceptance of, of what your current yeah. situation is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's one of those things as well where you almost kind of know the answer, but then you can, get, right. in, you can get into habit of doing the same thing over and over. And you, you know, 100%. it's probably not serving you as you say, but you've kind of got to look at that. You've got to have that self-awareness to then just evaluate the situation and ask that question, which is tough sometimes to, yeah, to do. So that's, yeah, that's, that's great that's, advice. By the way, that's, if I close out with that one, that's because I know we're getting to the end. But if I just said like, like a long-term career success, universal attribute, it's the word, the phrase you just said, self-awareness. That's it. If mm -hmm. you know yourself, I mentioned earlier, it's like being extremely aware of yourself the best leaders and CEOs in the world, they're all different. Some of them are extroverts, some are introverts, some are great communicators, some not, some are technical, some not. If you said, what's the thing that there's very consistent, it's self-awareness. Fantastic. Well, uh, like you say, probably a great way to, to kind of end the, end the podcast on that note. And 
thank you so much again for for taking the time um to join the episode like I've got literally two or three pages of notes there and i want to be listening back so uh thank you yeah thank you so much for joining you guys ask awesome questions so great job to you and thanks so much for having me on here really appreciate it yeah thanks so much nick really great talking to you